Hey everyone, this is Chris and Sandy with the Chris and Sandy Show, where we get up close and personal with some amazing guests throughout the entertainment industry. And today, like I say on every of us, we had a great one for you. Who do we have? We have Roz Weston with us today. For 17 years, he was senior correspondent for ET Canada and host of ET Canada Live. He is also the co-host of Canada's most popular syndicated radio program, The Roz and Mocha Show. And he has a brand new memoir titled A Little Bit Broken, which became an instant bestseller in Canada. And we're excited to talk to him about all that. and yes. So welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. It's our pleasure. Now. Yes. I always like to start the show out kind of same way. Um, uh, you know, how the past couple of years have been rough for a lot of people, but especially yep. entertainment. It's really devastated mm -hmm. at the beginning for with entertainment. So how did you kind of manage through that and how did it affect you? Yeah, I, 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 you know, the whole time you guys were talking to people during the, the pandemic, I was doing the same for ET Canada and the radio show. And, and what I noticed was it hit entertainers in really two different ways. When, mm -hmm. when, when everything went into lockdown, um, people either shut down. Mm -hmm. or they got creative because you suddenly had all this time <laughs> to do the things that, you know, a lot of people had said, you know, I, I was going to promise myself that I was going to do this, but people weren't on tour and people weren't going into the office and you couldn't travel. And what I found is what a lot of people found. And that was, I didn't have any excuses anymore to not yeah. be, yeah. You know, to not be creative. And I had started the book writing process just before the pandemic hit and, uh, and, and as soon as, you know, we weren't allowed to leave the houses really, you know, I wrote this entire thing, um, during COVID. And so yeah. what it did for yeah. me was it, it like, it boosted creativity for me. And, uh, and it was really, it was really incredible. My family was fine all my, you know, all our, all our, our, our people were, were, were good and taken care of. Uh, but as far as the, the sort of creativity goes, that's really the, that's really how it hit me. And it was, it was a gift. And, and I, and, and I, and I, I I promised myself every day when I had that kind of time to be creative that I wasn't going to take it for granted because it was never going to happen again. Exactly. Yeah. That's like, you know, we launched a show January of 2020. So a couple months yeah. before everything and original plan was maybe a hundred interviews that first year. Mm -hmm. And I thought that'd be a great foundation. And then COVID happens and I'm sitting there watching everything get shut down. I told Sandy, you know, for a brand new show, bigger people who normally wouldn't come on a brand new show, might be willing to come on. And I, and I realized like what you just said, this probably won't happen again yep. ever. So we yeah. need to take advantage of that. And because of that, you know, we did where we did over 300 interviews that first year and we're over 600 now. It's wild. It's, and, and, and you, and you, and you're right. It really gave us, I, I, when the world shut down, when I was doing ET Canada, like I would still travel, like I was normally my life would be, you know, travel New York, Los Angeles, the UK, do all these interviews and, 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 and stay here in Toronto and then people come to you. And, you know, I was sort of used to over 17 years, a certain volume of, yeah. uh, of, yeah. of interviews that we would do. I was never busier doing interviews than I was during COVID because suddenly, you know, it was so easy to book somebody. It was so easy to just log onto a computer and do an interview with no, with no travel and i was doing triple the amount of interviews as just oh, like wow. you guys were you know during the pandemic it was and it was great it was really incredible and it was a sort of great way for me to go out before i left that show and it's funny because um we did 300 the first year 
200 the second and 100 this year. So it's because <laughs> it's been a little harder since everybody's working again and all of that. Yeah. And at the same time, we've had two deaths in our family, my dad yeah, and her mom. So, oh, so we've had a lot to deal with this year. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry to hear that. That's uh, that's tough to go through, especially when you have to entertain, you know, that's the, that's the, <laughs> yeah. the thing is that, you know, you, you sort of have to put that, that part of yourself to a side, but not forget about it. Right. Like exactly. you have to go back exactly. and you have to deal with that because doing stuff like this makes it easy to forget about that stuff. Right. It makes, it's a, it's a great distraction, yeah. you know, doing yeah. shows and interviewing people, you can always do more and more and more yeah. and sort of put yeah. off dealing with the things that you, that you really should be dealing with. So as long as you, as long as you go back to that. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm in a, when we're on this, I'm in that zone where it's yeah. like life ain't happening outside of this. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. And, and I enjoy it. And sometimes I enjoy it too much. And then it's like, you know, I remember at the beginning of the career where we started a couple of years ago, um, I went a week without doing no interviews and I was getting frustrated and, you know, and um, with just life and Sandy was like, go book somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You were missing that, that part. Yeah, and I didn't yeah, realize sure. that's what was happening. Yeah. But that's what it is. You do, you do miss it. And, and there's really nothing that can replace that. Right. It's, it's very difficult to sort of replace the, 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 the feeling you get from, from doing this. Now, tell us a little bit about your book, A Little Bit Broken. I love the title because, to be Great honest, title, we're all broken yes. at different levels. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, the one thing that I, I wanted to do was I wanted to write a book about uh, about grief from my point of view. I lost my dad when I was young. I was in my 20s when uh, when my dad died. And um, that's sort of one half of the book. And the other half of the book is that I wanted to, you know, be if not the one of the first people to ever write an entire book just to propose to my girlfriend. And so I knew that <laughs> that's how the book was going to end. And I knew that I was going to spoil the ending before the book came out. And so it's sort of a love letter to my dad and then also to my now fiance, uh, spoiler alert, um, Catherine. And so the, the last thing, the last, I, the first thing I wrote when I sat down to write the book was, was there's a line in the final chapter, which is the proposal chapter that mm -hmm. reads, um, when you choose the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with, you're also choosing the person who's going to tell your stories when you're gone. And if you're lucky, you'll only find somebody who you'll find somebody who only sees the best in you. And so the, I wrote that line and I sort of set that aside. And then I went back to write the whole thing. And I realized that with my dad, that I was sort of his storyteller. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it, when, when I go, his stories will go. And because he died before social media and we, I don't have any video of him. I don't have any audio of him. Right. Um, so it, when, when I go, he would also go because his stories sort of die with me. And this was a way when I started thinking about legacy and what we leave behind, um, I wanted, you know, permanent record of my story, but I also felt it was important to have permanent record of his as well. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely love that. And you went through a lot of addictions and all that. And just to yep. give you a little point, you know, I went through 19 years of addictions. And, you know, the line that you said while ago made me really think about Sandy, because um, <clears throat> the first five years of our marriage was really hectic on her because of the addictions. But, you know, she never nagged me, never put me down, never did yep. any of that. Um, she just loved me in spite of the addictions and through the addictions and all that. And I'll never forget that because I've been sober now. We'll be 15 years this month. And so when you said that line, it really made me think. So how yeah. does addictions play into your story? 
Yeah. So, you know, with, with my, with my story, you know, I, I, I wanted to talk a lot about things that I guess typically, you know, men don't discuss, right. Yeah. And, you know, men, mental mm-hmm. health and, you know, self-harm and body image and, you know, and, and, and addiction and vulnerability and crying and uh, all of these, all of these things where there wasn't, I, I was well into my late twenties or early thirties, even, you know, before I even heard the words mental health put together, oh, wow. like that, those, those yeah. two words, right. It just, it just didn't exist when I was, when I was young, you know, like we never, mm-hmm. we never really discussed that. And it's not that nobody did want to discuss it. It's just that nobody knew how to discuss this kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so, you know, I, I went through trauma when I was, when I was a young kid and, and then that sort of led to other things and years of self, uh, years of self-harm. Um, and I didn't really know why I was doing it. I just, I, I didn't know what normal felt like. I just knew that in those sort of moments, I would feel whatever normal was supposed to feel like, I guess. And then uh, when it came to my, you know, being, being addicted it was a classic case of you know doctors in the 90s and that was i i went in both my lungs collapsed when i was in my 20s and i and i wow. went in and oh, wow. I, had, I had massive infections and i was in and out of surgeries i was in the hospital for months and when i when i left like a lot of people did when i left the hospital they prescribed me a you know uh, an, enough percocet to last somebody years and they just and they sent me home with this giant bottle and i was just on my own there was nobody there there to, to sort of, you know, make sure I yeah, with any sort of regularity yeah. or with any sort of caution. And, and I figured out a way to sort of maximize the pills like a lot of people do, which was, you know, I would take them when I felt good and I would mm-hmm. suffer through when I, when I felt awful to get sort of get the most out of them. Oh, and wow. I was in a, I was in a fog for months, for months. And then when the pills ran out, I was kind of like, oh, that's fine. Cause I didn't really know what was going on. And yeah. then when the pills ran out, I got sick. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going on. And I thought there was another infection. And I was going back to the doctors and they were saying, yeah. no, you're fine. There's no infection. And wow. I took an extra three weeks off work. And, and I realized that, you know, all I was is I was kicking an opioid addiction, you know, sort of alone oh, in, 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 in my room. And I didn't even know what it was. And thankfully, I didn't know what it was because had I known what it was. You might would have kept on them. I, I might have tried to figure out a way to replace that because I yeah. didn't know it was the pills. And it was only afterwards that I, that I realized that I realized what it was. Um, but I, but I'm with you, you know, I come from, you know, my dad was, uh, I never knew him as a drunk. Uh, I only knew my dad as, mm-hmm. uh, as sober and he was, and he helped a lot of people, um, you know, get clean, uh, throughout his life. So, but again, yeah. this was only stuff that was discussed in my house. Like nobody ever talked about it, you know, sort mm-hmm. of like, you know, pub public and, 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 uh, and it was, it's, it, it was a journey. But I kept seeing, you know, I've seen a lot of um, wonderful messages from people who read the book and suddenly maybe feel a little bit seen or were confused about their own story and realized that they're sort of not as as alone as they had thought that they were. So what's a few stories from your book that really have touched people? Um you know, I, I think the, the, when you deal with grief, you know, you know, they don't teach you how to grieve when you're, you know, in junior high, right. It's just something yeah. that, that, that you're going to have to go through on your own. And most people make it through. Okay. That's why, you know, most of us don't need therapy or medications to get over grief. Um, but what they don't tell you about is the, the sort of guilt that can come with grief. And, and, and I, I felt guilt as opposed to the sort of stages of grief that you're supposed to go through. And a lot of that was the day the the way that I handled my dad um, when he was when he was dying, which was um, I sort of said goodbye to him before he had actually passed. 
and I put, I, I wanted to get on with grieving. And so I wasn't around for the last bit of his life and selfishly for me. And, um, and, and part of that was because I was so young and I wasn't, I was always on my way to becoming something when my dad was, was alive. And I was never really, I've never felt like I was anything. And I knew that he wasn't going to be around to see his hard work pay off. And so I took all of that on his guilt. You know, he was never going to be a grandfather because I never found somebody in time. He was never going to get me to, you know, to, 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 to stand with me at the altar because I was, I wasn't fast enough in doing all this stuff. So I took all the things that he was going to miss out on in life. And I, internalized it and I, and I put it on his guilt. And so that's the way that I dealt with grief. And so I just shut it all down and I didn't grieve my dad dying probably a, a decade after he, after he had actually passed away. And, and, and when I, and when I mean that, I just shut down emotionally for, you know, for over, over 10 years, because I knew that as soon as I opened up, that is the first thing that I was going to have to deal with. So I just avoided anything that would lead to any sort of, you know, uh, uh, emotion or, or, or reflection on, on that. And, and so I really dealt with, you know, his death hit me in the way of guilt as opposed to the general steps of grief. And so that's one of the things that I think a lot of people resonated with, with the book, as far as what I hear from people is that yeah. a lot of people have gone through the, the 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 sort of mystery stage of grief which is guilt and i totally get that too because like you know again like i told said my dad passed away earlier this year yeah. and although he was 77 so we did i did get to have him for a while compared to a lot of people um especially through covid and all that but um we never really accomplished a lot until the show, the show is really what catapulted us a little bit. So before that, we, we've done like a hundred different business ideas that all failed, but they kept us afloat long enough yep. to get the next one, yeah. but he never seen any type of success from us. And so I, I get that guilt, like you said, because it's like that guilt where, well, now that he's gone, things are starting to really take off. I was like, I wish I could tell him this. I wish I could tell him that. Yeah. And I can't because he's no longer here. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I, and I get in those situations too. And, and the advice that I always give to, to, to people when they're dealing with, with the, with loss and, and it has been wonderful there, there've been so many incredible people that have written me through social media where they read the book and they've shared with me the sort of final stages when they're saying goodbye to somebody. I'll get messages late at night being like, I'm at the hospital right now. You know, wow. my dad's not going to make okay. it through the night. And, and, and they involve me in it um, because they, <laughs> they, they resonated with the book oh, and wow. it's really yeah. beautiful, right? It's really, it's, it, it, it's, it's heartbreaking um, to sort of go to bed with those messages or wake up to those messages, but it's been, but it's been really, really beautiful. And when people call me or when people write me and, and they sort of don't, they're, they're confused about a decision that they have to make or whether or not to celebrate, you know, Christmas because they just passed on everything else. My advice is to just be the kid he raised, you know, okay. and, and, and just remind yourself of that. And you don't have to say, what would he, what would he do? It's just be, you know, what he, you know what to do because he raised you. Right. And so my, my thing, whenever I was confused, I was like, I'm just going to be the bloody kid that he raised. And as soon as I've sort of put that in my head, you know, everything just sort of sorts itself out. Now let's go back some. Um, did you always know that you wanted to be a host? No, that, that's one of them jobs that I, <laughs> I think sometimes, like even though I never realized that I would enjoy what I do here. Um, I never even imagined this, and here it is. We are. So, how did that happen? What I mean, did, what did you want to be, and how did the host thing come? 
I mean, I wanted to be a rock star like everybody else who grew up in the 80s, right? I think that that's sort of, you know, the 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 path that I had set out for myself. Um, I I but I had I had incredible stage fright when I was when I was younger and I was never really good enough at guitar to ever really do anything. So so that was sort of um, beyond. Um, but but I, I I didn't have great um, uh, self-esteem. And um, I knew that I loved this world of people, but I never wanted to be the focus of it. And yeah. so I was a yeah. writer and a producer for a lot of years. And I didn't get my first on-air job. I, I didn't start doing television until I was 30, which oh, wow. is very old in that world, right? I mean, I know that sounds crazy to say, <laughs> but starting as, as a host at 30 is, is sort of like- back then. I think now it's being yeah. a little more accepting, but back then- sure. no. Because you needed, you didn't have this, right? Like you didn't have access to this. Like you needed a television network and a yeah. television show yeah. in order to get on, in yeah. order to get on TV. And so I was, I was 30 when I, when I started and, um, and, and it was, you know, it was, it was a wild run of really insecure and, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and not feeling great about yourself. I, I, I liked what I did. I just didn't like it. Like, yeah. does that make, yeah. that make sense? I never watched myself on television. Um, I was, I don't on go ET. back and play our videos. No, <laughs> no. And <laughs> no, and you know, I was on, I was on ET Canada. I started ET Canada in 2005 and the last episode of ET Canada that I watched was 2007 and I left this right. year. Oh, wow. Right. So for, you know, for 15 years, I never saw, I never saw an episode of it, but I didn't tell anybody that I never watched the show. I was just yeah. never comfortable yeah. watching the show, but I liked talking to people and I liked doing interviews. Like I liked the work. Um, I just didn't particularly like being on television and, and it's the same thing with the, with the radio show. You know, I like the idea of making somebody's day a little bit better, a little bit easier. You know, when somebody's in their car and they're fighting to get their kids ready for school yeah. and they're driving to work and they're sitting in traffic, especially in this city, uh, you know, it's, it's hell on earth for them and it's the worst part of their day. And, you know, if you ask me what I do for a living, it's simple. It's very simple. And that is my job is to just make somebody's day a little bit better, a little bit easier. That's it. Love that. Oh, and you had an extra struggle in there too because you know as i read your story and all that you know i have this nose issue and i've had of course people get upset with me on the show because i sniffle a lot and i can't help that um it's just one of them things my nose is is bad issue and yeah. i twitch a little bit but i don't i've never been diagnosed with tourette's but you have tell us about how you manage that through that career yeah um it's but with tricks you know and and uh i and that that's really that's really it is i think that when you have ticks you know you you become very uh, good at masking them. And, um, if I was having a particular, you know, eye tick, I would, you know, wear sunglasses or I would just close wow. my eyes. And because I work so much, yeah. you know, I would just always sit on, I would just always sit on set like, you know, like this, or I, or I, I'd close my eyes and people just thought I was tired, but what I was doing was just ticking my eyes back and forth and back and forth. And, uh, I always asked to have a monitor right by where my camera was. And that's not unusual. And people just thought, probably thought I was vain because I wanted to just see what I looked like. But what that was for me was I could always see it at the corner of my eye when I was on camera, right? And 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 so if the camera was on somebody else, I could see it at the corner of my eye that I wasn't on camera. And so I would tick and I would let them out. And then as soon as the camera switched back, I would suppress them again. So when, oh, when you're dealing with ticks, the, the 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 best way that I've heard it described when when dealing with with ticks is to what it's like to sort of fight them off is to hold your eyes open without blinking for as long as you can and then <laughs> as they start to dry out it's all you're going to think about 
And as they're drying out, you know, in your head that the only thing you have to do to make that feeling stop is to just blink once. And then as soon right. as you do that feeling, it's like, it's almost euphoric, that feeling. And then as soon mm -hmm. as you do that, do that same whole thing again and again and again and again. And that's what it's like to have ticks, right? It's just this constant feeling that you know you can sort of fix it with just doing one thing, flicking my eyes back and forth, pulling my neck or whatever that particular tick is. But as soon as you do it, it comes back again. And there's another one and another one and another one. You can hold them back, but you can't hold them back forever. And we all have issues. And I think that's where our society goes do. wrong mm -hmm. is people will laugh at different things. You know, you've watched social sure. media, you know, and I'm like, you know, and I, you'll see a meme and, and, you know, you got all these people laughing at it. I'm, and I'm like, I don't comment, but I'm like thinking to myself, that's kind of mean. Yeah. 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 I, and I, like, I, I agree with you. And, and especially with something like Tourette's and ticks, it's, you know, it, it's so misunderstood and it's, it's difficult for, you know, kids, me as an adult, like, you know, I thought when I wrote this book and, and talked about it for the first time that I would suddenly feel free to sort of go out into the world and just, you know, tick away. Um, but it didn't work that way because my whole life I've just, you know, hidden them and suppressed them. So I still find that I'm doing that, even though I've made videos about it and I wrote about it in a, in a book, I still find myself, you know, holding them back and faking it and going like this a lot and all this other stuff. Um, but with, with kids, it's difficult because kids don't understand things. And the the idea of Tourette's from what you see in movies and, you know, mm -hmm. the punchlines of jokes is, you know, shouting, you know, profanities. At yeah. And, it's a lot and, that, and that and that does that does exist. But that's sort of not the norm. Um, There's a lot milder ticks. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I had small vocal ones when I was younger, but I grew, I grew out of them in my, in my teen years and um, where I would just hum and I would repeat things and I would mimic noises and I would sort of huh. do all this yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, and I, and I didn't know what it was. And, and even when I was younger, when I was, you know, when, if I would have eye ticks, you know, my brother noticed it when I was young, cause he's three years older than me. And when we were kids, he would just call me twitchy because he just didn't know what it was. I was just always, I was just always twitching. Right. And that, it was no big deal. Like it didn't hurt. It never yeah. ruined my yeah. day, but it was something I was, I was somewhat self-conscious about, but yeah. he knew sure. he recognized it. He recognized it when we were, when we were kids. And then all these years later, when I got diagnosed with it, you know, and I told like, him wow. and I was like, I was like, man, it all makes sense. And then we were yeah. like, okay, cool. And we never talked about it ever again. <laughs> you know, my buddy Joe said that people do it to Mike Tyson all the time and it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With, uh, with, with, uh, his, and he says he his speaks. daughter has kicks. Yeah. 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 No. And it's, uh, and, and, and that's another thing, you know, through social media that I found a lot of parents writing me, um, talking about how their, you know, how their kids have it or, um, they're, you know, dealing with it or how do you deal with kids at, you know, kids at school and, you know, they don't want them to hide it. And my, and my thing is, is that you can tell a kid to just feel free to do something, but instinctually yeah. you will yeah. put yourself in situations where you don't want to be the center of attention and you don't want to be fussed over. And that's what I did for a long time. I could have told people, but I, I never wanted to, I never wanted to be fussed over. Right. So I never yeah. wanted somebody to see me do something on TV and go, Oh, we have to redo that because Roz had an eye thing and everything else. I would rather people, I would rather make people uncomfortable to where they wouldn't ask me about it than to be open than to be open and make it an actual thing, right? Yeah, you know, that that's mm -hmm. like with me, you know, for the longest time I wouldn't do we I've had the idea of this show for a couple of years before we launched. 
And I never did it because yeah. of my small ticks and my nose. And I was like, nope, nobody's going to listen anyway. And so why do it? And it, it was just one of them things at the end of night, 2019. I was like, you know, the heck with it. We're going to launch and I'll just deal with it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that, and that, and, and, and I think that that, that, you know, that's something that either comes with incredible confidence or with age. Right. For me, it was age. I did. I, I, when I was younger, I didn't have that, that incredible confidence. And, and, you know, whenever you do anything in, in show business, if you, you know, de, you know, decide to be an entertainer in any sort of form, I, I think the thing that happens is when you have to perform for people, whether it's, you know, on a radio show or stand on a stage or do a television show or you're an actor, right before you perform, you have to have this inner confidence that you have to express look yeah. at me yeah. look at me you know that, that and 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 that sort of thing where you do, you you need to be the center of attention in order to do what you do where it's look at me where you're commanding attention that either comes instantly for some people or to get to that point is always going to be a struggle for people and i'm the kind of entertainer where it is always a struggle for me that sort of look at me has never come naturally and i'm in <laughs> awe and i'm in awe when i see people you know where it is their sort of natural state where they're so comfortable in front of people where they're so comfortable entertaining where they're so comfortable being the center of everything uh when it when it does come naturally i'm i'm incredibly you know not jealous but um but inspired yeah. by it i guess yeah. You know, what's funny is when I was um, 16, 17 years old, I was so shy that if, if you had to give an oral book report, I took an F. Yeah. Period. You, you was not going to get me in front of a crowd and read the the book. I just, you know, I, I don't Same. do great reading anyway. And you're yeah. not going to make me do that in front of a crowd if that, you know, oh, no, don't get, you know don't get me in front of a crowd. And, and it's yeah. funny, I've been on stage a few times um, in my adult years and, and I always laugh. I mean, about all that, when I look back, cause I'm like, man, if my English teacher could see me now, <laughs> that's incredible because I'm still not comfortable on a stage at all. You know, I, I, I love that we have this incredible audience, but I also love that I never have to see any of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this helps, right? It does help. Bro. Yeah, yeah. You know, like like doing doing the radio show is 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 amazing. And when when somebody tells me the amount of people that actually listen to it, it's, it's quite <laughs> jarring. Um, but you know, yeah. I don't have to see any of them. I don't have to perform in, right. in, in front yeah. of in front of anybody, right? Just to the people in the room, and that's sort of where my comfort zone my comfort zone is. You know, I remember mm -hmm. um, about fifteen years or so ago, the first time I ever spoke on stage. Um, I've learned. Two things that you never, ever do, especially if it's going to be your first time. One is don't change what you're going to say the day of. No. no, no. And, and, and number two is don't make your first time in front of 250 professionals. No. And, <laughs> yeah. and I, I remember getting up there. I had, I had the sheet in my hand like this. And I'll never forget. I walk up there and my sheet's doing like this. And I'm about to freak. I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> and um, so, of course people so then I'm that. like, okay, well, I'll put it on the podium. Well, the podium was my, at my waist. I was like, okay, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> so I felt like, okay, I'll just wing it. And let's just do this. It's my story, a little bit of my story. I know it. I'll do it. And I open my mouth. Nothing comes out. Yeah, nothing. I was there. I she was, was in on the front, front row. Yeah. She said she was free. Nothing 
came Yes, it out. was painful for me to watch and it. And I'm it stuttering so nothing, nothing. I mean, about 30, 40 seconds went in and nothing. And I would try nothing. I'm surprised they didn't pull me off. We were waiting for and, them and, to come out. And, and all I could think now. about, I, I always heard that if you fall off a horse, you got to get back up on it or you'll never ride again. So my thought was, if yeah. I go off this stage, I'll never speak again. I know that. So I have to somehow make it through this. So I had that. So all of a sudden this came to my head. Um, I took my composure, looked at the crowd and says, okay, if y'all get nothing else out of this, at least you get a good laugh. And they all laughed and I was able to nail the rest of it. That's great. And and you do and 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 I think that that is exactly, you know, what you said, which is you the thing that took me a, a long time is uh to just, you know, to not give up on yourself in the moment, right? I can you you can talk yourself out of something before you do it and afterwards you can sort of do the thing but it's in those moments where where you know it's very easy to just walk off and you could convince yourself you know what today's not the day you know I'll do this again I'm I know I'm going to do this again and it'll be better but so so to just not give up on yourself in the moment I think is uh is is incredible and and that's what I've learned just from doing the radio show for so long is that you know when you are live there is no like you can't bail Right. Like you just you you can't bail and you, and you've got to, you, a, you know, you, up, you just make a you push, your, you push your way, you push your way through it. And so for me, I've just become way less precious about how I'm perceived. Right. You know, I, yeah. I, I ramble. I, you know, I, I, I tell stories that are too long and sometimes are too short. And I start <laughs> at the end and then I work my way back and I all of this stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I will say that the the only thing for me when it comes to, you know, getting on a stage or, or speaking in front of people in front of either an audience in front of a microphone or on a radio show or whatever it is, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that you have to know how you're going to start. But more importantly, mm -hmm. you have to know how you're going to end. That and way you can always have it back. Because yeah, because I'm so loose with stories, right? Uh -huh. I, I I can't start a story unless I know exactly how I'm going to end it, because I will always have that, right? And if I talk myself into a hole, which I do frequently, um, <laughs> I will always be able to just go to the end. I don't have to find the end. The end is always there for me to use when I need it, and and that comforts me, and it makes me a better storyteller. So as long as I know how I'm going to get myself out of this. Uh, I'm I'm actually fine to to do everything at the in the middle. That's like with our show, you know. I always have maybe a couple handful of questions that I ask almost every guest, but I never know how they're going to answer. My goal is, you know, I could probably ask all the questions within ten minutes and it's done. But sure, that's not my goal. My goal is to find something that you say that we can play on and make it a conversation. Um, and, and I love that. That's that's what I love about what we do. Agree. Because <laughs> you never know. Yeah, I mean, we get so many people. We've had so many people on and we never know where. I mean, there are some times we get off and we're like, that didn't go as planned. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and and sometimes it doesn't go as planned and it's and it's quite, you know, uh discouraging but then other times it didn't go as it as it's planned it's and it's exhilarating fun. right like yeah. it's it's really it's really it's really wonderful because i think that you know that one of the best parts about doing this you know what you guys do or what i do is that you know people can surprise you and mm -hmm. and i think yeah. that you have to be able to give yourself the room to let them 
Yeah, because there's been people that I disagree with on some things that we've had on the show. And I, you know, I never bring up politics and all that on the show. I don't don't want, I want it to be about their story. And then we get off and I'm like, man, that was one of the best conversations I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. And it it does. And it, and it, you know, and it really, it charges you up, you know, and, and it makes you, makes you want to, you know, do another one. And, uh-huh. and do another mm-hmm. one. And and I get that. I really, I really do. And then there's a few times where you get on there and I, and maybe their PR people taught them to do this. I think that's bad when PR people do teach this, but they get on there and you ask a question and it's done in one sentence. And I'm like, Oh God, yeah. what, where do if, we, where do we I mean, mm-hmm. there were times where I was 15 minutes in and I'm, I'm, I'm adding stuff that I'm just bringing stuff <laughs> Yeah. 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 There, and, and I, and I think that, you know, that's a combination of, you know, insecurity on, on their part. And I, I think yeah. that, you know, when somebody has to, you know, come off as the center of attention, but they're not very comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, they're so worried that they're going to screw up and they're so worried that they're going to get themselves in a position of, to talk to some, to talk about something that they don't necessarily want to, because I mean, realistically, you know, we're strangers, you know, and I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with this. Um, but a lot of people do find it very difficult. You know, a lot of people, you know, these are not people that would be comfortable, you know, sitting in a, in a restaurant or a bar alone and just having a conversation with the person next to them. You would never find that that type of person there. I'm totally fine to do that. I've traveled. I've spent so much time alone. I'm good talking to strangers. I have, no problem yeah. with it. I actually, I actually quite enjoy it. But if you're not that type of person, whether you are famous and doing a show on Netflix or yeah. whether you're working at a bank, that is just who you are. And there's been a lot of people who are just not comfortable doing yeah. this. They love what they do, but they're not comfortable doing this. And and so I used to take it personally when somebody would, you know, not be a giving subject in in an interview. Yeah. And I got to the point of where I actually sort of started to respect them and yeah. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, because just of just how difficult to give even what they gave must have been for them. Right. right. Exactly. exactly. You know, I remember um, I had a PR person slash agent um, when I had her, one of her people come on the show uh, and she told me beforehand, she goes, now take it easy with him. He's nervous. He don't do this. She, she goes, you'll probably have to pull teeth on a lot of this. And she warned me advance. I was like, just let me do my job. I'm fine. You know, and so we get on there and next thing I know, he's just going all off and I'm just sitting there like, I don't know what she's talking about. And then we get, we get off and she calls me immediately because she watched it live. She goes, I don't know what you did with him, but my God, he's never been like that. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think that, you know, I think having done this now, having interviewed people for so long, you know, being on that side of things and now being on this side where I've, I've been doing a, a ton of interviews, you know, for the, for the book. Um, I, I will say that you get a, a sense early on about what is a safe space and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and your sort of comfort level. And I get, a, I'm very quick to get a vibe from people. And I think other, and I think other people are too. And, uh, and, and, you know, if you hit somebody at the right time of day and, you know, you maybe, you know, maybe your accent reminds them of an uncle they had, maybe you feel like home to them. Maybe they've been in LA or New York for so long and you, and you remind them of, you know what I mean? Like you yeah. just get a yeah. vibe from people and you don't know when you're going to, when you're going to give off that vibe or when somebody's going to sort of, you know, pick it up. And so, you know, I, 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 you will make somebody comfortable without even knowing it by just being you, you know, sometimes 
Sometimes it's the way that you say hello at the beginning of an interview. Sometimes it's smiling because you would you would be surprised how many people sit in rooms before interviews in silence where there's me sitting there and them sitting there and we both sit there and say nothing to each other in the most awkward way possible until somebody goes, okay, go. And then you both oh, sort of man. light up, right? Like there's an yeah. awkwardness thing that happens. And so sometimes when right. you walk into a room that's, you know, really great and it's a really great vibe, I know the rest of my day is going to be kind of awkward and not yeah. fun. But yeah. if somebody gives you a fun room, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to live it up in this room with these people for a little while because <laughs> yeah. everything I do after this is not going to be that. Uh -huh. <laughs> you, you know, my friend Joe, and I guess you're on both sides now. What do you think of what he said in his opinion? that it's so much easier to be interviewed than to do than being the interviewer for uh, me i feel like it's the opposite oh, yeah, i feel like it's the opposite as well yes on, on the show and that was so Wait, difficult now I, I haven't we've only done it one time on the other side yeah? like you but the yeah. time we did do it um because our stories are so unique and we got a great marriage story um, she wanted to separate us and have me come on. We'd have been, I'd have been fine if it was <laughs> we been play us off each together. other. <laughs> yeah, because one of us yeah. helps the other one if we. So we kind of cripple each other, I guess you could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with I'm with you. I find it much easier to do the interview than mm -hmm. to be the one being being interviewed for sure, for sure. But maybe it might be different if I didn't have something to talk about like like the book where it was yeah. so yeah, so right. personal and so That's emotional true. and and mm -hmm. it's you know I'm I'm exhausted after doing it just because it's I don't particularly enjoy sitting around you know talking about the death of my father for you know five times a day I'll do it and 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 it makes yeah. me feel good at the end of it but it's difficult to do um mm -hmm. but in doing interviews I like it I sort of like the I I like when you know, you get somebody to a point where they open up. There's always that one point in an yeah. interview where you sort of break through a little tiny bit. And I, and I love getting to that point. You know, I love laughing with a stranger. I love, you know, I love making somebody laugh. I love, you know, asking somebody, you know, how they felt about something mm -hmm. instead of, you know, what they think about something Yeah, and all that stuff. And, and I really enjoy doing, I really enjoy doing interviews and I, I will always love doing interviews way more than I love being, <laughs> you know, you talking about getting people to open up i remember we had one guy on the show and we we're in the middle of the interview and we're getting a little deeper now and he's like um he, he he's like can we stick to music i'm a little uncomfortable um going there and i was like did, and i asked him is like did you do know what my tagline to our show is right he goes no it's like it's called up close and personal and he's like oh and and then and then he thought about it and he's like well to be honest with you i've probably opened up more on this show than i ever have so i was like yeah. okay well i've done my job <laughs> yeah i i uh i i agree, I agree with you and the, you know there was there was one time where it was really really put into 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 context for me mm -hmm. because when i when i started at et canada it was a much different show in a much different place than it is now yeah. and um, it was before social media um tmz maybe had just started perez Hill oh, wow. was the sort of biggest thing on uh on the internet at the time and, and and it was a vicious place you know celebrity journalism was vicious and, and you were ruthless to to people and the boss that we had at the time you know, the, their their philosophy was you know it it didn't matter what they were promoting it didn't matter uh, yeah their new show didn't matter their album didn't matter we were going to ask them what we wanted to ask them and so i was very good at asking people things 
and about eating disorders and about failed marriages and about affairs and all of this stuff. And so I would go into these junket rooms where somebody was trying to promote a television show or a movie and I would just go at them and I would go at them hard wow. because my okay. philosophy was, you know, it was much easier to have Lindsay Lohan pissed off at me for five minutes than it was to have my boss pissed off at me for five days. Right. And so I would go, I would go in and I would do it. And I, and I, and, and, and there's a lot of regret that I, you know, carry for the way, you know, that I, that I talk to people, you know, because if anybody who has ever gone through a death or a breakup or whatever it was, you know, I'll talk to certain people about it, but I couldn't imagine sitting in a chair in a room full of strangers and one by one, you're going to parade a brand new stranger in front of me every five minutes. And they're going to ask me about it. And I'm going to have to have this conversation with people that I don't know. Wow. And, and it's an incredibly invasive situation. Interviewing in itself is invasive, um, but it's a dance. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I always say that, you know, there's people that I love to always interview because they're great at it. And this sort of thing is, you know, I don't know you, you don't know me, but for five minutes, you know, we're going to act like we're best friends and I'm going to laugh at your jokes and you laugh at my jokes. You're going to give me something a little bit personal. And then we're both going to be on our way. And like, you know, there's certain people in show business who are really, really good at that. Like Steve Carell is mm -hmm. one of the best mm -hmm. at that. You know, he is the best at that thing in five yeah. minutes, uh, right? Yeah. Sitting down with somebody he doesn't know. Paul Giamatti is another one who is amazing at that thing that we do when we're doing these sort of short form interviews and some people are just not and 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 i i i sort of misused that time for a lot of years with a lot of people and uh, and felt terrible and felt terrible about it you know um and yeah. now i'm a much different sort of interviewer you know i will i will give somebody their space yeah i remember um seeing somebody talk about this i don't know how, i'm not 100 percent true if this was true but it said that larry king way he interviews is he never wants to know anything about you he says i'll learn that on the show yeah i mean sure but you, you know it, you can say i don't want to know anything about somebody but you know when you're interviewing share that's a little bit, you know, <laughs> difficult to, to do. It's, you know, you know, like, like Larry King, Larry King like wasn't, inter book, wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't interviewing strangers. Yeah. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Like, like, you know, I, I get, you know, Larry King wasn't interviewing the, the singer who nobody's ever heard of, you know, who's, you know, trying to promote a brand <laughs> yes. record. Right. So, right. you know, so I get that. I get, I get that. But, but, you know, was, would Larry King even work right now? I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if he would, you know, I don't know if that right, style would work now. Done. I think that, I think mm -hmm. that people, you know, like, people like to, to hear somebody who's interested. And I don't know if, if like mm -hmm. a lot of Larry King's style was that, you know, he did seem like he really didn't know who the person was, you know, sometimes. Yeah. And I don't know how entertaining that is to listen to. I don't know how entertaining it is to listen to the person who's being interviewed, have to correct the person who's doing the interview just on base, that, you know, very, right. very basic, basic things. So as much as I loved Larry King and I used to run into Larry King all the time oh, wow. uh, at the, at the Regency yeah. hotel, in New York for for years, he was always there, and he's a little tiny guy, looked like Kermit the Frog. Um, <laughs> you know, but I don't think Larry King would fly today. I don't think that that style would that style would work, especially when you look at the podcasts that are available now. And you know, some of the biggest podcasts in the in the world are you know these people are they take it seriously and they're well you know they're well researched and they and they care about who's sitting in front of them. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, I try to kind of know just enough to keep it going. But not too too much to where then I don't know where to go if you know. What sure. I mean. you know, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I try. I know just enough so that way I can you know because I don't what I you know what I've learned through the years um, watching people and all that 
is if you get too honed in, then you're going to miss so many great conversations that could have happened. Yes. Yes. I agree. I agree. And, um, you know, for me, that always just came down to don't know enough to where I stop listening. Yeah. Love that. Love right? that. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't want to. I don't. I never want to go into something as the expert. You know. I want. I want to know. I want to know enough about you that um, that you know that I care. Um, but mm-hmm. I. I. The, the. My main focus in every interview was to just base every question off what I had just heard, as opposed to going through a map that I had predetermined. You know, Gar- Gary V recently talked about um, that the future, the next future of content on say YouTube and all that is it's, you know, cause for years it was always like, you wanted to be the expert he believes. And I, and I yeah. think he's right. He's, I, I remember him saying that he believes the next t- decade will be the year of the enthusiast. He says it will no longer be people are tired of experts. They want the enthusiast because you will bring to, uh, something to the table that the expert can't. Yeah. And, and I, I agree, but, you know, and I think that also, you know, what wound up happening was the, the world of experts changed, right? Mm. Because you could be an expert in art or wine or science or whatever it was. And you always had a place in the world, but then, but then suddenly, you know, social media happened and YouTube happened and the the world changed (laughs) and there were experts in a lot of weird things, man. And it really opened the world (laughs) to everywhere you turned. There was an expert, you know, where it really Mm -hmm. put, you know, like for me, when I think in terms of expert and somebody who knows who's the best at the thing that they do or knows the most about what they, what they do. You know, for me, I look at somebody like, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, right. Who Mm -hmm. is incredible. Mm -hmm. But I also look at Tony Hawk and what he's done in skateboarding. And I'm like, those guys are both experts and those guys are both the best. And I put, I really do. I put them on the same level, right? Because what, what this world of experts is, is it really opened my eyes to the amount of people who are incredible at a lot of different things. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I'm with it, but because of the levels of experts now is you're right is now what we have are enthusiasts, right? Because there's a lot more people to learn from now. I think that, that, that we have the sort of people at the top and, and, and other people will sort of make their way up to the yeah. top, but, yeah. you know, but I can look at, but I can look at, you know, you know, uh, Laird Hamilton on a surfboard, the same way that I can look at, you know, uh, uh you know, somebody who's on the, on, on the Yankees, the same way yeah. I can look and at you LeBron know, when James. They talk, the same, you know. That's the thing when they mm-hmm. talk, you know, when they, they've made it to the top of their profession. Yeah. So when they talk, success really leaves clues as they say, and, when all the different people at different professions talk, they all really do say a lot of the same stuff. You know, you learn like, like from Tony Hawk, the same principles that you would learn from the other people. Oh my God. Like, like there that you could be, you know, you could be a, a, a top <laughs> criminal, you know, lawyer. <laughs> right. But, but what I'm saying yeah. is that, you know, somebody like, you know, Laird Hamilton knows as much about the physics and um, you know, the ocean and you know weather patterns and you know di- aerodynamics of a surfboard than that than somebody does about you know about law and it does they're both wildly educated individuals and that's what mm-hmm. i've always gravitated towards i've always wanted to learn from the smartest people and so when i see smart people doing anything whether it's a somebody who's cooking 
or -hmm. somebody who's building Mm -hmm. or somebody who's doing whatever. Like when I see somebody who's incredibly smart, um, but also has a way of presenting it, right? They're natural teachers. And I think that more than experts, I gravitate towards people who are natural teachers, whether they know it or not. And that's probably true with it all that, you know, thinking back at some of the things I listen to, I think that is more probably what I gravitate to also. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I, I love, I love learning and, and that's, you know, for me and, and, and I, I'm not passive about it. Like I love learning things and then doing things. And, and, and I used to chase opportunity for, for a lot of years in my life, I chased opportunity and now I chase creativity. Right. And that's sort of, you know, it's about getting an idea out of my head and into the world and making something, you know, beautiful or making something funny or making something that tastes delicious or making (laughs) something, you know, that that somebody can enjoy. That's sort of where I am now, as opposed to what's the next opportunity. I am more along the lines of, you know, what you know, what's the next, you know, creative thing that I can do. Exactly. Love that. You know, a lot of people, they see the glory in everything you've done, but they don't see the grind, the sacrifice, the tears, the struggles it takes to get to any level within entertainment. I always want to talk about that side too, because I think it's glossed over in the entertainment world a lot of times where it's like, if you got the talent, you'll make it. But we both know that's not true. So no. take us back and tell us some of the sacrifices you've had to go through to get to where you are today. Uh, you know, things that I sacrificed, one was my my time, right? Um, just, you know, I would for, you know, for 17 years when I was doing both the radio show and the TV show and, and, and then writing the book for two, you know, I get up at three 50 AM every day wow. and I'm out of the house at, you know, at, at, uh, at four 45, I do the radio show from six until 10. And then I would go leave the radio show and go up to the television station and do the TV show from 10 30 AM until five 30 PM and then get home at six 30 PM every night. Right. So I was out of the house from, you know, 4.30 a.m. until 6.30 p.m. And I did that for 17 years. And, uh, and it really, it grinds your body. It grinds your body. And then I would travel on weekends, you know, when my, my, our, my, our daughter's 12 now. And for the first, you know, few years of her life, when, you know, the first five or six years, I would do that schedule, but also travel yeah. on the weekends. And so, mm-hmm. and so what did I sacrifice? You know, I wasn't around as much as I would wanted to have been uh, mm-hmm. around yeah. and, yeah. and, you know, and, and what it did to my body is that, you know, I always say every day you see me, I am the most tired I've ever been. And, uh, and, and Catherine, my, my fiance would, you know, you know, she would recognize that and, you know, ask me, you know, for my own good, not because she would ever want yeah. me to, but yeah. you know, when I was, when I was going to be able to, to sort of, you know, take the foot off the gas a little bit, but I didn't have that in me. Right. I'm not the type of person to, to, to slow down because I, I sort of was running on fear where if I stopped or slowed down, all of it would go away. Yeah, because the entertainment world that happens a lot. It does. Yeah. And so so for so much of my career, I was just chasing and making sure that 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 what I had achieved um never never went away. And then finally I was able to eventually start letting go as opposed to somebody taking it away from me. How did you feel when you were able to do that? It was glorious. You know, it's it's, at what what point do you sort of get to reap the benefits of, you know, everything that you've worked so hard for, right? And for for me right now, reaping the benefits is just having time. 
you know, because that's the one thing that I never had is I never, I never had time. I never had a minute to do anything. And so, so now I'll come home and, you know, I'll sit on the couch sometimes and I'll be on the couch for like 15, 20 minutes just with one of the cats. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, like, well, I've never been able to do this before. It's two o'clock in the afternoon and I'm sitting on the couch with one of the cats, just like doing nothing. And I have nothing to do except for make dinner later on. And so for me, what I've given myself is I've just given myself a little bit of time back. Love that. Oh, you know, a lot of people, they see you, but they don't see the team around you. In our opinion, teams never get love. They don't. On our show, they get a little love. So take a few yeah. moments and tell us about the team that helps you be who you are. Uh, well, I mean, my my team starts with with family because i would uh i would not be able to do the radio show or the tv show or especially the book um without Catherine, who is my fiance and then my also our kid roxy so that's sort of like my my inner my inner core and uh when it comes to the radio show my co-host um mocha is a, is just a wonderful person and we designed that radio show to not self-destruct with any of the things that normally kill shows which yeah. is you know yeah. money and secrets and uh we don't negotiate separately we we make sure that everything that he our contracts are done together mm -hmm. we don't take meetings separately with bosses he's never in a meeting without me i'm never in a meeting without him and we do this because i really love him right and and i love the show and i love what we built and uh and 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 i know what kills shows and it's that kind of stuff and so we decided to you know tie our names together in the show tie our lives together with he and i and tie our families together that you know because of the success of the show and and so he's sort of my core and then we have producers you know um a guy named uh, Maury and uh, uh, Shem, who's the executive producer of the show, and 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 you know, so it's it's really good, and I and I love the people, you know, that uh, that I get a chance to work with. They're incredibly creative, but uh, but I think that you need a small core. I don't need a big team. I've never needed a I've never needed a big team. Um, but yes, you're right, and and the, the people who sort of work on shows never get the never get the credit um, <laughs> that they uh, that they deserve. Love that. You know, speaking of teams and family, we have a third co-host, our 10-year-old, <coughs> that we bring sure. couple questions. Yes. So Sandy's going to go get him. I'll go get him. And yeah, please. While, and while we wait for him, um, tell us a little bit about your show. Uh, the radio show. Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I had, I had never done radio. Like I had been a writer and a producer. Uh, this is the first radio show that I've ever hosted in my life. And I've been doing it now for 14 years, wow. uh, the same show. I don't know if I will do another radio show after this one, uh, goes away. I really, I really don't. Um, but I, I knew that from having worked in radio for so long that the, that the connection that you build, uh, is, is incredible. And, and I always say, that you know in radio success is very subjective yeah and in in radio when you're truly 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 successful um, you don't become famous you become family and 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 we've we've sort of achieved that level now that oh, you know wow. we 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 had somebody call us yesterday who'd been listening to the show for you know eight years and they were about to she was on her way to the hospital having a baby oh, wow. you know and we and we were the people she wanted to call to share it with because you know we we raised her right like she was you know 12 <laughs> years old when she started listening to the show and now she's off to you know being a mom but uh but yeah hey how's it going man it's going good hi ross good. What's, your food? what's that sorry What's your favorite food? What's my favorite food? Um, I got three favorite foods. Cheeseburgers, chicken wings, and pizza. Because mm, what's yours? Mine's pizza. Pizza? What kind of pizza you like? 
pepperoni sauce and supreme and pineapple. We got really. Like you like pineapple on pizza? Yes. Man, we, oh man. We just we just learned that this year because every you know everybody would always ask him, has he ever tried that when he says his pizza? You know, and he's like, no. And finally, one day he was like, I want to try it. So yeah. so we tried it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I like pizza a lot. Uh, cheeseburgers and chicken wings are my number one and my number two, definitely. <laughs> What's your favorite TV show? My favorite TV show. It sort of switches. Like I, I don't, I don't have a favorite TV show of all time. Um, but, uh, but recently, Wednesday on Netflix, because I'm a big old school Adams Family uh, fan. Wednesday was really, really good. We just finished watching uh, also White Lotus. I really enjoyed. And um, recent, and, and recently. I mean, obviously, The Office and Modern Family. I love those shows. Uh, but we've really been um, we read it. We discovered uh, the Blacklist with James Spader, uh, which yeah. I'd never seen before, and my kid really loves it. And there's and like one of our 15 faves. seasons, and so we've just started watching <laughs> oh, wow. uh, watching the Blacklist. Yeah. All right. What's your movie? My favorite movie. That's a really, really, really great question. I love, uh, for a comedy, I love Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but I also love um, Bridesmaids. I think that's really good. As far as like a superhero movie goes, I love Guardians of the Galaxy. And as far as I love romantic comedies, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, um, and then dramas, um, years ago, there was a Tony Scott movie called true romance. And I think that that's sort of my yeah. favorite kind of, uh, Tarantino, Tony Scott kind of film. Cause what's your favorite movie and show? All right. My favorite movie is the minions and I forgot to say my first show. My first show is SpongeBob. SpongeBob. I love SpongeBob. I just discovered SpongeBob recently. I love SpongeBob. <laughs> he, SpongeBob's hilarious, especially Patrick. Yeah. Yes, love Patrick. Love Patrick. That's his fave. Yeah. Bye, thanks. Oh, hey, thank you very much. What grade are you in? Uh, fifth. Fifth. You loving it? Yes. He's yeah, homeschooled, so he yeah. better love it because his mommy teaches him. <laughs> That's amazing. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, he's he loves to be on the show. Next year, we might be, launch his own little podcast. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's something should. like 10 you minutes should. with Chris or something type yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Make it little small, quick, right to the point for yeah. him and, and see where it goes. Yeah. He's a good kid. Definitely. <clears throat> so um, what's kind of next for you? Uh, geez. You know, you know, what's interesting is that I, I, you know, talking about time and, and, and how much I love having time. And I know that I'm going to get to a point where I sort of, you know, want to fill my days with more things. So maybe I'll look for another TV show at some point. I don't know. Um, I would love to do TV again. I still really, really love doing, uh, doing television. Um, but as it is right now, I'm going to sort of cruise through the holidays and then in the new year, uh, I'll start looking for, looking for something else. I de definitely love that. Um, <clears throat> Sandy's coming back. Yes. Yeah, sure. Uh, whether some things that inspire you, what, what inspires me? Yes. Um, I, I'm always inspired. One, I'm always inspired by my kid and I'm always inspired by my fiance. They are extremely talented and wonderful people. And I'm inspired by people who, who see the best in people. I'm inspired by optimists um, because I am not one. 
you know, I, I, I'm, I'm inspired by people who are always the first to laugh at a, at a, at a great joke. I'm, I'm inspired by people who are past the point of worrying about judgment or how other people perceive them. I'm inspired by that. Um, you know, that's sort of my thing. I, 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 I love, um, I love, I love optimism and I gravitate towards it, even though I'm not an optimist. You know, I love that about the optimist. I remember the thing is where optimist sees the glass half full, the yeah. pessimist sees it half empty, but the opportunist drinks it. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> and what would you like for your, your legacy to be? What would you like to be most known and remembered for? Um, I, I think going back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, I've spent, I get up in the middle of the night every single day to, you know, make somebody's day a little bit easier, a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that if, if that happened, you know, with anybody, and that's the sort of thing that they remember from any of the years that I was, you know, doing this show or, or, you know, when I wrote the book, uh, I think that that's good enough. I think that that's, you know, real, really more than I could, I could ever imagine. Love that. Awesome. And yeah. if you could say anything to your fans and followers, what would you want to tell them? Uh, yeah, listen, I, I mean, you know, I, I tell them every day, which is, you know, I, that, that none of this is lost on me and the sort of relationship that you have with, with an audience is very easy to take for granted. And it's very yeah. easy yeah. to, to get lost, uh, to, to, to sort of lose sight of what it is. And, but I just want to, I always remind myself that, you know, sort of where I came from and, and, and any amount of time that anybody has ever decided to share any of their time with me, whether it be the book or the TV show or the radio show, you know, I am so unbelievably appreciated because the only thing we have is time. And if anybody right. decides to share any of their time with me, I, you know, I will, you know, fight like hell to make sure it's worth it for you. Awesome. Love that. So as we close out here, what advice would you give that person who wants to do what you do? Um, the, uh, there's two, there's the practical advice, which I would say, you know, the, the one I didn't, I wasn't great in school and I, I, you know, I didn't finish college or anything like that. So the practical advice I would say is, you know, the way that the world is right now, you got to be the best writer in any room, you know, work mm -hmm. on styles, you know, and not just write in your own voice, write in other people's voices, write in other people's uh -huh. styles, write about all sorts of different topics, not just the things that interest you. So yeah. I would say be mm -hmm. the best writer you can. Now, the sort of more like sort of philosophical uh, <laughs> advice, I would I would just remind people to not let common sense get in their way ah, because yeah, common yeah. sense is often is often a killer. You know, mm -hmm. you will talk yourself out of a lot of things because of common sense, but, um, but just don't let that get in your way. Love that. So tell everybody how they can find your book and find you. Yeah, you can, uh, Roz Weston, R O Z W E S T O N on all the socials. Uh, you can order the book, which is called a little bit broken right here on, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all those, uh, all those other places. So anywhere where you buy books, uh, you can just go online and, uh, and order it. And I would appreciate it. You know, we really enjoyed having you on the show today and we look forward to having you back down the road. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Both of you. I really enjoyed my time. Same oh, here. We did too. Thank you, you so have a much. Great day. Mm -hmm. Right on. You take it easy. Bye bye. Bye. Okay.